Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. The last time we were together in the book of Ruth, we met a man from Bethlehem, from the Ephrathite clan, a well-respected man from a well-respected family. Uh, And the writer showed us how this man used his wealth and good social standing to flee from his home country when the economy crashed. And we saw how this led to disaster for him and for his sons. By the end of chapter 1, all that remained of his family was his widow, Naomi. And we saw how she finally came home bitter and depressed, wondering if God is actually good or if he is simply harsh, unforgiving, judgmental, just like all the other gods in the world. Is God Shaddai, the Almighty Judge, or is he Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God who loves his people with an everlasting love? And we ended chapter 1 with this question. What hope does Naomi have now that she has lost everything? Well, today, at the beginning of chapter 2, the writer begins again with another introduction. Verse 1, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So this is a well-respected man from the same well-respected family as Naomi's husband. But there is an important difference between these two men. When Naomi's husband used his wealth to escape from trouble, this man named Boaz apparently remained behind uh, in the land throughout the years of trouble. So what is the writer doing by introducing this man, Boaz, right here at the beginning of the second chapter? He wants us to notice the difference between these two men. He wants to grab our interest And make us wonder, could this man now be the answer to our question, what hope does Naomi have? Her husband's disobedience led her to lose everything. Could it be that Boaz's obedience will lead her to gaining everything back? So this is what we are supposed to be wondering as we get back into the story today. So at the end of chapter 1, we were told that Naomi arrived home just as the barley harvest was beginning. The famine is over. God has provided rain for the winter crops. And now in the spring, the first harvest is ready. But Naomi has just arrived back home. She was not there in the winter to help plant the barley. So how is this harvest going to benefit her? Normally, the ones who plant are the ones who also reap. The ones who work are the ones who get paid. However, in ancient Israel, God's law allowed even the poor to benefit from the harvest. This is how it worked. The men would go first, cutting the barley stalks and making bundles of them on the ground. Then the women would follow behind, gathering up the bundles and carrying them to the barns. And this was a messy process. So stalks would get dropped, grains would shake loose and fall on the ground. And so God's law said that poor people were allowed to follow the women and pick up what had been dropped by accident. In fact, God said very clearly that if a worker looked around and realized he had left a stalk behind, 
then they were not allowed to go back and get it. They had to leave it for the poor. So even though Naomi was not there for the planting, she can still get food from this harvest. And all she has to do is go out and pick it up. So after they've been home in Bethlehem for a couple of days, Ruth says, Mom, let me go to the fields and pick up the dropped grain. I'll ask for permission and everything, right? Just to make sure I don't get into trouble. Now, according to God's law, Ruth did not have to ask permission. The law says that the right to glean, uh, the right to pick up the leftovers, is specifically for the foreigners, the fatherless, and for the widows. And Ruth is all three. She's a foreigner, she's fatherless, and she's a widow. However, as we all know, people don't always obey God's law, especially when they are dealing with foreigners. And the writer deliberately reminds us that Ruth is a foreigner. He tells us in verse 2, And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields. And the original readers would have known at once, Uh-oh, this might not go very well. Racism is a universal human problem. So is sexism. The world can be a dangerous place for a young woman. It can also be a dangerous place for foreigners and refugees. Well, Ruth is a young woman and a refugee. So what she is proposing is potentially very dangerous. And just in case you doubt me, just in case you want to say, oh, come on, this is Israel. These are God's people. They wouldn't be like that. Well, allow me to remind you that this story of Ruth takes place during the days when the judges ruled. The book of Judges contains a horrible story about a young Israelite woman from Bethlehem who is savagely violated and murdered while she is traveling through the territory of another Israelite tribe. She wasn't even, an, she wasn't even a refugee. She was just a foreigner from another tribe. And that is what happened to her. So, yes, what Ruth is proposing here is potentially very dangerous. The original readers would have felt an immediate rise in the story's tension. And we are supposed to feel that tension as well. But Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. Now, does Naomi not see the danger? Well, she must. But maybe their situation by this point is so desperate they have to take risks in order to feed themselves. Poor people often have to take those kind of risks. But if Naomi knows the risks and knows how desperate they are, why doesn't she go with Ruth into the fields? Because that would minimize the risk, right? Because Naomi is not a foreigner. She, she has connections in town. Her husband's relative, Boaz, for one. So she could go with Ruth into the fields so that... She could help protect Ruth, but, so, but she doesn't. Why not? Well, the writer does not tell us why, but in the first chapter, we saw how losing everything turned Naomi into a bitter, nasty, angry woman. It could be that Naomi simply does not want any food. Maybe she just wants to give up and die. And she doesn't want Ruth to go out and find something to eat. Maybe she's hoping that Ruth will recognize the danger and realize that she's better off just going home to Moab and leaving Naomi alone in her, in her bitterness. Well, if that's what Naomi wants, uh, she's disappointed. Ruth goes out and goes to work. And 
as it turned out, simply by chance, right, she ends up in the field belonging to Boaz, this well-respected man from the same well-respected family as Naomi's husband. And the writer is being ironic here, of course, because this did not happen by chance. Uh, but then, by chance, again, Boaz comes to see how the harvest is doing. And this turns the tension up even higher. Because Ruth is a young woman and a foreigner, so she's already in danger. On the other hand, we've already gotten a hint that Boaz is a good man, obedient to God. So is he going to be angry with this foreign girl for picking up the leftovers in his field? Or is he going to be okay with it? Well, he shows up and he greets his harvesters. The Lord be with you. And the Lord bless you, they answered. And so that sounds promising, right? Boaz sounds like he could be a good guy. But so, whew, the tension gets dialed back down a bit. But then, verse 5, the tension rises again. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, Who does that young woman belong to? So Boaz sees this stranger in his field, this young woman, and he asks, Who does she belong to? And this is really a way of asking, Who is she related to? Does she have a father or a husband or a brother, some relative who can vouch for her? Because in those days, in that culture, just as in many of our Asian cultures today, who you are related to matters a lot. So now, a lot depends on how the overseer answers. If he says, oh, she's related to so-and-so rich man in town, well then Boaz will certainly treat her with respect. But if the overseer says, oh, she's just a foreigner, she's not related to anybody important, well, then there is potential for Boaz to treat her badly. Well, the overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. So that is not a good start. Two times the overseer has emphasized that Ruth is a foreigner. The only good news in this sentence is that she is related to Naomi. But Naomi is not rich or powerful or respected. She's just an old widow. So if Boaz decides to take advantage of Ruth, he could basically get away with it. She has no relatives who can take him to court and get justice for her. The overseer goes on, though, in verse 7. She said, let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. And she came into the field, and she has she's remained here from morning until now. Right? except for a short rest in the shelter. So that sounds more positive, doesn't it? The, the overseer is pointing out that, that she has actually asked for permission, which she did not need to do, and that she seems to be a hard worker. So what is Boaz going to do? Is he going to chase her away or abuse her somehow, or is he going to let her keep working? Well, verse 8, So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. So now we can dial the tension back down. Not only does he tell her to keep working, he also gives her the protection from his men. And as a final touch, he tells her she can get a drink from the company water bottles anytime she wants, which is actually the most profound part. We miss it, but the original readers would have understood the theological significance of this at once. 
Because in ancient Israel, it was the foreigners and the refugees who were supposed to carry water for the Israelite workers. But here, Boaz completely reverses that structure. Instead of telling this foreign girl to go and get water for his men, he tells her she can drink the water that his men have brought. And so this is astonishing. This, this would have been shocking for the readers, and it's shocking for Ruth. And so at verse 10, she says, At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. And she asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And so at this point, we find out that Boaz has already heard about her. Like Bethlehem is a small town. Everybody knows everybody. And apparently everyone has been talking about this young foreign girl who followed Naomi home. And, and so no wonder, right? I mean, she, she left everything behind to come and live as a foreigner in Israel just so she can help take care of her mother-in-law. And that is strange, right? I mean, who does that? Who takes that kind of risk and becomes a refugee for the sake of someone else? So Boaz answers her and he basically says, I'm being kind to you because you've been kind to Naomi. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And Ruth says, verse 13, May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. And it's possible that at this point, the writer just turned the tension back up. See, this verse is a verse that scholars have discussed in great detail because there appears to be a very subtle kind of wordplay going on here. A very literal translation of this verse would read like this, May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord? You have put me at ease by whispering sweetly to the heart of your slave girl, though I do not have the standing of one of your slave girls. And this seems to be an, a double entendre. A, a sexual meaning. There seems to be a second sexual meaning underneath Ruth's words. Let me explain. First, the Hebrew word translated kindly in this verse means tenderly, gently. It can also mean seductively. And second, the, word, the Hebrew word translated servant in this verse actually means slave girl, the lowest of the low kind of slave girl. And there is another Hebrew word that Ruth could have used, a higher class word that means servant girl. And we know she could have used this word because she actually does use this word in the next chapter, in chapter 3. But here she calls herself a slave girl. Why? Well, because a higher class servant girl could potentially become a mistress or a concubine, but a lower class slave girl is not eligible for that role under God's law. So on the surface, Ruth is saying, thank you, I really do not deserve your generosity. But on another level, Ruth could be saying, thank you for speaking so unbelievably kindly to me. I hope you continue to be so generous, even if I do not become your mistress. So it could be that Ruth is a little bit worried about Boaz's motivations here. And that's fair, because after all, when a rich man suddenly offers a poor young woman a lot of money, what is he usually buying? 
Now, the reason scholars debate about this is, is because it is a very subtle wordplay, and because some scholars do not want to see any sexual tension in this chapter at all. Uh, they don't like to think of Ruth as, as being in any kind of potential danger when she went out to find work, because, well, they don't like to think that Ruth would suspect the saintly Boaz of something like this. But other scholars think that those scholars are being a bit naive. We already know from the book of Judges that Israel could be a very dangerous place for young women. We know from almost every other book in the Old Testament that rich men tend to take sexual advantage of young women. Besides, as readers, we don't know yet if Boaz is saintly. He seems like a good guy. He says he's being generous to Ruth because Ruth has been generous to Naomi, but how can we know for sure what his real motivations are? So it could be here that the writer has just turned the tension back up. Ruth is no longer in danger from random attack because Boaz has offered her his protection, but why? Does he expect something in return. The story goes on. So Ruth works for a while, and then at lunchtime, Boaz says, come over here, have some bread, dip it in the wine vinegar. And then when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. And, and in other words, he gives her nasi bunkus. And, and he does this with his own hand, which is symbolic, actually. It's a way of announcing to everyone there, this young woman is my guest now. She is under my protection. She ate all she wanted and had some left over, and then she goes right back to work. So Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather even among the sheaves. And don't reprimand her. Let her pick up stuff even from among the bundles that have not been taken away to the barns yet. Pull out some stalks from her, from the bundles, and even leave them on the ground for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. So Boaz really is, he's confirming that Ruth is allowed to work here, and he's telling his men to deliberately drop extra grain on the ground. And again, rich, respected man being obviously generous to a poor foreign girl? Why? Why? What does he expect in return? But at least Ruth is safe for the moment, so she works all day. She threshes the barley herself, we're told. She breaks off the shells, keeps the grain, and in the end, she has enough to feed herself and Naomi for several weeks. And so no wonder Naomi says, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Naomi knows Ruth didn't harvest all this just by picking up scraps. She must have caught the eye of some rich guy. And Naomi is wondering, <laughs> what did you do to earn all this? And may God bless that guy, whoever he is. Well, then Ruth told her mother-in-law, Well, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Oh, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not sh stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. So suddenly here, Naomi sees the hand of God at work. This morning when Ruth went out, Naomi still believed God was out to get her. She was in despair, without hope. She believed that God was Shaddai, the judge. But here, suddenly, in this heap of grain, she realizes that God is still Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. And she uses that word, that, that covenant word, kindness. 
She says he has not stopped showing his everlasting covenant love to the living and the dead. Last week, she used the right words about covenant love, but it was clear she did not understand the the concept. But this time, in this chapter, she understands a little more. She, She is realizing that God has been taking care of her all along even through all the dark years in Moab. Yes, she went away full, and she came back empty, but but now, at least for this moment, and for the next few weeks, she is no longer empty. Then Naomi says this, By the way, Ruth, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Now, What is a guardian redeemer? Well, in ancient Israel, according to God's law, a guardian redeemer was a male relative who was obligated to help out his extended family members if they fell on hard times. If they had to sell their land, he was obligated to buy it to make sure the land stayed in the family. If if they had to hire themselves out for work, he was obligated to hire them to make sure they would not end up working for some abusive boss from some other family. So when Naomi tells Ruth, that man is our close relative, he is one of our guardian redeemers, she's really saying this, that man, Boaz, is actually obligated by God's law to hire us and help take care of us. And now Ruth, in verse 21, basically says, oh, now it all makes sense. Because, by the way, he also said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all of my grain. Booth, uh, Ruth had asked Boaz why he was being so kind to her, right? and his answer was, because you've been so kind to Naomi. But Ruth might have been wondering all afternoon if Boaz had something more on his mind. But now she knows that Boaz really is a good man. By being generous to Ruth, he is actually being generous to Naomi. By giving Ruth a job, he is actually supporting his relative, Naomi, and fulfilling God's law also. And Naomi agrees with Boaz's proposal. She says, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. And so... Ruth stayed home, uh, sorry, Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So, okay then, um, a brief recap now to see where we are in, in Naomi's story. So when we left her at the end of chapter one, Naomi wasn't even sure who God is anymore. She was so blinded by bitterness and despair that She couldn't see any evidence at all of God's mercy in her life. She was ready to just give up and die. But now, at the end of chapter 2, Naomi has remembered who God really is. She is seeing the evidence of God's mercy in her life because she has food now. She has a guardian redeemer, and she apparently also has some kind of plan for the future. Well, we've been asking, what hope does Naomi have now that she has nothing left? Well, now we're seeing that God himself is the answer. Naomi's God, our God, is Yahweh, the one who keeps his promises, the one who reaches out to save those who have nothing left to save themselves. And Naomi is beginning to see this as well. Now, but how did this happen? 
Did God provide food through a miracle? Did he send Naomi a vision or a dream to guide her? No. God sent Ruth to do for Naomi what Naomi could not do for herself. It is Ruth who went out and took the risks. It is Ruth who worked hard all day. It is Ruth who, by chance, ran into the one man in Bethlehem who could and would actually help them. So what we're seeing here in this chapter is that God really does take care of his people and that ordinarily he does this through the obedience of his people. But this chapter is not just about food and faith for Naomi. It's also about salvation for Elimelech, her dead husband. See, the book of Ruth is the story of two women, Naomi and Ruth. It's also the story of two men, Elimelech, Naomi's dead husband, and Boaz, Naomi's kinsman redeemer. Now, we've, we've seen how Naomi has struggled to understand who God really is. And we've heard the writer asking, who is going to redeem Naomi? And, and we are seeing that Ruth is part of God's answer to that question. Ruth is beginning to do for Naomi what Naomi cannot do for herself, but running underneath Naomi's story is the deeper story of Elimelech. It is Elimelech who forgot God, who forgot who God really is long before Naomi did. It is Elimelech who led his family to disaster and death in a foreign land. And so underneath this question, who is going to redeem Naomi, is the deeper question, who is going to redeem Elimelech? In chapter 1, the writer introduced Ruth as a potential redeemer for Naomi. Here in chapter 2, he has introduced Boaz as a potential redeemer for Elimelech. It could be that Boaz will do for Elimelech what Elimelech cannot do for himself. Now, I, I know that this is not how we think these days. Our instinct is to say, man, that dude is dead. His story is over. He cannot be redeemed. But that is not how ancient people thought about these things. For them, the dead are only physically dead. They live on in spirit. They live on in reputation. When Naomi looks at her situation, she is not just concerned about food. She is concerned about her dead husband, her dead sons, who have been buried in a land far away from the land of God's covenant. She is concerned that Elimelech's family line is going to disappear. And in the land of ancient Israel, according to God's own law, this was the worst kind of curse a man could experience. And it's clear that Naomi believes she is under the same curse because she was bound in covenant relationship to her husband at the time when the curse came upon him. So Naomi wants that curse lifted from herself and from her husband and from her husband's family. She had given up hope of this ever happening, because after all, how can anyone redeem the dead? But when Ruth show up, showed up with food from Boaz, the guardian redeemer, Naomi realized that there is one option open to her. There is a way to lift the curse, and Boaz is the key. That is why she said he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. So what we are beginning to realize here is that this story is all about redemption through restoration, redemption through belonging. See, Naomi has a problem that is much bigger and deeper than food. Her problem is this, she does not belong anymore. 
When her husband took her away to a foreign land and then he died there under the curse of God, she lost her place in her society. And when she comes back home as a widow here, she she does not belong to anyone anymore. She needs more than just leftover food to keep her alive. She needs her identity restored in her community if she's really going to live. And the thing is, she can't do that by herself. You can't just walk back in and say, hey, I screwed up, but I want my reputation back. I want my social status back. It doesn't work that way. Not for any of us. Naomi needs someone else to get her back in, to give her a place to belong. And we are just like Naomi. Right? We need a place to belong. We need a place to belong to. And we, and we can't buy our way back in. We can't get there just by saying, hey, here I am. There is always a price to be paid. And we always have to be brought in by someone else who can recommend us. And this concept of the need to belong is found all the way through this chapter. Right? It's especially clear in Boaz's first comment when he sees Ruth. In verse 5, he says, who does that young woman belong to? Now, in our modern world, I know many people respond to this with, oh, what a primitive patriarchal culture. Boaz thinks a woman only has value if she belongs to some man? But that's not actually what the writer is saying. The writer is saying that no one has any value unless they belong to someone else. We are creatures of community. Well, Boaz knows this. He knows that he belongs to God and to God's community, God's society. And he knows that that God and his society is the source of everything good that he enjoys. So when he sees this young woman working in the fields, he, he thinks to himself, does she belong to someone? Is she being cared for as I am, or is she alone in this world? He's not trying to demean her. He's trying to make sure she is lifted up and cared for, just as he himself has been lifted up and cared for. And, to his delight, as we've seen, he discovers that that Ruth does belong. She belongs to Naomi, who once belonged to her husband Elimelech, and Elimelech once belonged to Boaz. As part of the same family, the same clan. And so Boaz realizes, he realized in that moment that this foreign refugee woman, Ruth, in a distant way, belongs to him. He realized that it is his responsibility and his privilege to bring her in and give her a place in his society where she and Naomi and Elimelech's whole family can finally be lifted up and restored, their reputation redeemed so they can live without fear and have an inheritance among God's people. Okay. But now we have to ask, what does all this have to do with us? As Christians, we read this ancient 3,000-year-old literature, and we believe that because it's God's word to his people, it's supposed to affect our daily life somehow. We need a practical application, don't we? We want to know what does our Father want us to believe or do because of what we have read together here today. Well, one thing we are supposed to realize as Christians is that Boaz himself is a preview of the Messiah to come the Savior that we are named after, the man, Jesus of Nazareth. See, Boaz saw a family that had fallen on hard times through their own disobedience. 
Elimelech should never have left God's homeland in the first place. He should have stayed back and trusted to God to feed his family through the famine, through the economic downturn. But Boaz did not look at Elimelech's family, Elimelech's widow, and say, oh, well, she deserves to have nothing. Her family deserves to have nothing. They were unfaithful to God, so why should God's people be faithful to her? But instead, Boaz had compassion on her. And he acted on that compassion. He, he reached out and he began to gather Elimelech's family back in to give them a place to belong. But more than this, Boaz actually reached out beyond Elimelech's immediate family, beyond his own nation, his own ethnic group. He, he reached out and he helped a young refugee foreign woman. He was not obligated to do this at all. But he did it because he loved the gracious law of God and he wanted to live it as broadly as possible. Well, in the same way, Jesus Christ has reached out far beyond his own Jewish nation. He has extended his offer of salvation to people from every nation, every ethnicity, every language, every culture. He has looked at the families of the world, all fallen on hard times through their own disobedience, their own unfaithfulness, to the God who created them, but he has not condemned. Instead, he has been moved with compassion to reach out and gather us all back in to where we belong among God's people. So if you're here today and you are struggling, you're still struggling to find a place to belong in this world, then this is what our Father wants you to believe and to do. He wants you to believe that Jesus is calling you. And he wants you to answer Jesus' call. See, when Boaz first saw Ruth, he asked, who does that young woman belong to? Well, in the same way, Jesus is here now, looking at you and asking, who does this young woman, who does this young man, who does this person belong to? And all you have to do is answer and say, I would like to belong to you. If you do this, then I promise you that Jesus will reply just as Boaz did. He will say to you, my daughter, my son, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my people who work for me. I have told them not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, come and drink. Have some bread. Have some wine. Welcome home. Now, if you're here today and you have already found a place to belong with Jesus and with Jesus' people, then well, what is our application? What does our Father want us to believe and to do because of what we have read here today? Well, according to this chapter... Our Father wants us to believe He really does take care of His people and that ordinarily He does this through the obedience of His people. And so, now that we believe this, what should we do in response? Well, let's do this. Let's obey as Boaz did. Let us live as our Savior does. Let us be moved with compassion when we see families in trouble. 
out of the great wealth of grace that our Father has poured out upon us, let us pour out grace upon those around us. Let us learn to disregard questions of of race or, or gender or citizenship or any other category that the godless world uses to divide mankind. Let's serve with open hands and open hearts like Boaz did, like our Savior does. Let us continue our Savior's work of gathering in people from all the nations and giving them a place to belong. Because, look, friends, brothers and sisters, when we came home to Jesus, when we came home to Jesus' people, we came home to a vision of the world that is so much greater than anything we could have come up with. And and I'm going to close here today with a picture of that vision taken from the words of Jeremiah the prophet. This is what the Lord says. Sing with joy. Shout for the foremost of the nations. Make your praises heard and say, Lord, save your people. See, I will bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them will be the blind and the lame, expectant mothers and women in labor. A great throng will return. They will come with weeping. They will pray as I bring them back. They will come and shout for joy on the heights. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord, the grain, the new wine, and the olive oil the young of the flocks and herds, they will be like a well-watered garden and they will sorrow no more. This vision, this prophecy, it's for us. It's about us. And all our Savior asks of us in return is that we participate, that we give ourselves wholly to it. We are the blind and the lame, the expectant mothers, and the women in labor, we are among those who come with weeping and praying from the ends of the earth. Just like our Savior, we know what it is is like to live in exile in a foreign land where we do not belong. And so let us show compassion now to those who are still there in exile. Let us serve them with our words and with our hands. And so, by God's grace, may we gather many more in to their eternal home. Amen.